passage that we read together just a bit ago. We will take some time to read once again and explore what God has for us there. It is good to be back with you. We were away in Colorado for two weeks, which in some ways was just enough because we were ready to come home, and it's good to be back with you. We missed you. In other ways, it's never good to leave the mountains. Um, If you've ever spent time in the mountains, you know that, so uh, there's a little part of us that's there, but our hearts are here, and so we're glad that we're back with you. Whenever I was a kid, I was a very fearful little guy. I'm sure that if my parents had had enough insight, they would have probably taken me to see a therapist, and I probably would have been diagnosed with at least OCD tendencies and maybe even some anxiety disorders. I was a, I was a scared little boy. I can still feel it. It still is with me in a lot of ways. When I was a kid, we had those space heaters and the bottom, those baseboard heaters. We didn't have central air. We lived in sort of an older home, and so we had those baseboard heaters. And I remember as a kid, even in the middle of the summer, when there's no way those heaters would have been turned on by my parents, I would get up three or four times a night to make sure that they were turned off in my bedroom because I was afraid my stuffed animals would fall down by the baseboard heaters and we would have our house burned down and die. I would get up several times a night and check the locks on the doors. Um, My parents sort of lived out in the semi-rural part of Cincinnati, northern Cincinnati, and they had had a couple of break-ins before I was born, which was a foolish thing to tell me as a child. So I'd get up several times a night and make sure the doors were locked. Um, I was afraid we'd run out of money, so I would find ways to uh, contribute as a little eight-year-old to make sure we didn't run out of money, so I'd make sure all the faucets were always turned off. Uh, it got so bad that I broke the, the kitchen faucet handle as a kid. I can kind of laugh about some of those things now, but they weren't funny back then. I was a, I was a really scared little boy. Um, sports didn't scare me, hiking in the mountains didn't scare me, but, but the normal stuff of life scared me a lot. My family didn't know what to do with me. I had three ruthless brothers. They just made fun of me, um, which just made me hide it. And in some ways, I wish I had had a lot of help when I was a kid. So we're not going to get into to therapy today, but, but I, I just will say to you, if you notice things like this in your children of one sort or another, get them some help. There's nothing wrong with getting your children help from those who know how to deal with these things. It's the best thing you can do for them. But that didn't happen for me. And so what I did is I just stuffed it, and I learned to manage it. And then as I became a teenager and then into adulthood, I remember, and I still feel it today, that I was still a really scared guy. What God did, though, because he has an interesting sense of humor, is he put me in an occupation (laughs) where my fears get tweaked all the time. Do people like what I'm saying to them? Am I giving them good advice? Are the sermons landing and connecting? Am I making good leadership decisions? And it's not just theoretical because through the years, if you've been pastoring long enough, and I've been a pastor about 15 years now, people will eventually tell you what they think. None of you, of course. But along the way people walk away. 
that has been the hardest thing in participating in carrying out this occupation is that people you have loved, people that you've poured your life into eventually sometimes will leave. And not just because they get transferred. And not just because they move out of state, but because you've disappointed them. Or at least they think you have. And those fears come back. I remember four years ago when we were out in Colorado, Whitney and the boys and I, we were up in the mountains. And I remember talking to one of our our elders. This is well before we met any people here at Berlin. We were an independent church here in Lewis Center. And um, we had made an agreement when I went away on this trip that I wouldn't ask any questions about what was going on in the church. But I I couldn't help myself because I was afraid. And so I called and we talked. And um, he told me some bad news. And I shouldn't have asked. I I broke my covenant with the elders. But my my fears were controlling me at this point. And, And honestly, even though I know all the right answers about the fact that God is in control and God is good, and this harmony of, of God's power and His goodness are brought together and, and leveraged for my good so I can trust Him. I was at a stage, even in my late 30s, early 40s, where I was doing anything but. And in many ways, as I look at my life, I'll be 43 in a month or so, my life is a story of God getting me over me. I don't know if you can identify with that or not, but if you've been around long enough, I, I suspect a lot of you can. God is constantly doing all the things necessary in my life to get me over me. Fear and anxiety are real things. Sometimes things that we need professionals to help us with. But fear and anxiety at least in part, at least in part, are a symptom that we long to be in control and we're scared to death when we recognize the truth that we're not. And if you've been around any length of time, you are coming to grips with the fact, I hope, that ultimately you are not in control. Control is an illusion. And life is full of upheaval. Now, some of us right now are going through upheaval. We're we're a small enough church family that we, we know a lot of each other's stories, and we can identify some of the people right now in our church family that are going through upheaval. Battles with cancer, loss of parents, caring for spouses in ways that we never thought we'd have to. Grandchildren and children who have wandered from the faith. Pair downs at work. Doctors' diagnoses that are still pending. And when these things and others come into our lives, what we, what we tend to do is try to grip harder, to try to figure it out. But because control is an illusion, if we continue to go down that path of trying to control everything, it will lead us to the false conclusion that we can manage 
all that might unsettle us. Which then leads only to more pride, but tragically sets us up for disillusionment because troubles will come. And far too often there is nothing we can do to keep them at bay. My friends, God never promised us freedom from trouble. But He did promise us that He would be with us. And so when it comes down to it, this is perhaps a family therapy session where we hear from our Father, who is perfectly wise and always good, who tells us that His dear ones... His children, us, are not in control, but He is. And as we move through a life where we are increasingly aware of our lack of control, we can have complete confidence in Him because through the harmony of His power and goodness, He will take care of us. So let's read together once again, me out loud, you silently following along, Psalm 46. We'll take some time to to look at it and see the truths that God has for us today. Hear God's Word. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. This would have been a song that the community would have sung together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. May God bless to us the reading of His Word. We are spending our summer in the Psalms partially because we don't like to be in longer expositional series, verse-by-verse series, when people are scattered through vacation, but also because it gives us an opportunity to address the whole person, and the Psalms do that. They address us both in mind and in soul. The whole person God is redeeming through the work of His Son and the ministry of His Spirit, and the Psalms give us insight into the entirety of the person. They address the the myriad of emotions that we deal with on a weekly and yearly basis. 
And this psalm in particular is an opportunity for us to address this innate fear that we have. Now, you may not have been like I was as a child with all of my crippling tendencies, and you may not have been like or me as an adult and all of my various crippling anxieties, but when it really comes down to it, most of us are scared. And honestly, when I see a person who, who puffs out their chest and they have a lot of bravado, they come across as though they have the world by the tail and they're not scared of anything, typically through lots of years of counseling now, I know that probably those are the people that are the most scared. And one way or another, most of us are. But this psalm, which is given to us as a gift of God, is given to us not just to address our minds, to point us to a God who is firmly in control and always good, but to address our quaking, fearful hearts, whether we are prone to admit they are such or not. And this psalm points us to the, to the happy truth that we can be at rest, not in spite of upheaval, but in the midst of upheaval. I think the first seven verses proclaim to us this basic but really profound truth. We don't need to be afraid of upheaval. Our unrivaled and steadfastly devoted Lord is with us and for us. Twice now together we have read this psalm this morning. That was purposeful. Verse 7 and again verse 11 proclaim to us that the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why does the psalmist put it that way? Well, our Lord, the self-existent Yahweh, our God, is unrivaled in power. No one can touch Him. No one can compete with Him. I remember when I was a kid, not only was I a fearful kid, I was a mouthy kid. I was an incredibly gigantic smart aleck. But I had a big brother. And I knew that if I got myself in enough trouble and somebody came after me and wanted to beat my face in, my big brother would never let that happen. I had total confidence in him. He was larger than life. To a much more infinite degree, we have a self-existent Lord who is unrivaled in power. This Eastern religion sort of idea of, of yin and yang, of dark and light, of, of good and evil, that it's some sort of battle or tilt out there somewhere, and God and Satan are fighting it out, and we don't really exactly know what's, how it's going to turn out, and we better make all the right decisions so that we can help God bring all the good things to pass so that evil doesn't dominate. That is completely and patently unbiblical. 
Though Satan is called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, he is on a leash, and God can jerk it back whenever he wants, and eventually, according to Romans chapter 16, he is going to finish his conquest of Satan by the heels of the church, trampling the serpent underfoot, and one day he will bring total righteousness to bear in this earth. And he's in total control, my friends. And all of that power the Lord of angel armies. Eugene Peterson says in the message, he translates verses 7 and 11, Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. That's good. Not only is he totally and completely powerful, This same God who wrestled with Jacob promised him that he would always keep his covenant with his people. And so I say to you, my friends, this morning, we read this same song that God's people have been singing and exploring now for for millennia. And the truth remains for us today, we don't need to be afraid our unrivaled and steadfastly devoted Lord is with us and for us. You know one of the things that that excited me most when this merger idea was brought to bear, when it was put forward, one of the most exciting things for me as a relatively young guy is that we would gain some gray hair. Now, that is not a critique. That is, that is me being affectionate. We didn't have a lot of gray hair in our assembly before. We were a relatively young church. We, we had a few older families, but not a lot. And one of the things that excited me most is that we would immediately become a multi-generational church. And you know why that's so important? It's so important because those of you who have more gray hair, because it's a sliding scale, right? You have more life experience. And that gray hair has been hard-earned. But you have something to say to those of us who are freaked out by life. You've been through it. You've, You've been through cancer. You have lost family members. You have seen divorces. You have been through job loss, bankruptcy, character assassination. Don't despise your position in life. You have something to say to those of us who are moving along through these things, many of us for the very first times, and we need people who've been through it to look at us and say, listen, I know you're scared. I was too. But do you know what my strong and gracious covenant-keeping Lord did for me when I had cancer? When I lost my job and had five mouths to feed? When my character was assassinated unjustly? Do you know how God proved Himself faithful to me? I want to call those who or in our church family who have those life experiences, to have your antenna up. Put your ear to the ground. Pay attention. 
There are all kinds of young families around, many of which who don't have moms and dads who live near them. They've been transferred here. And they're going through these life experiences for the first time to put your arms around them, at least metaphorically, if not quite literally, and say, we're going to lunch this week, and I want to tell you not about how strong I am, not about how clever I was, but how good and powerful our God is. I want to call you to that ministry. We need that. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 contains pinnacle-like theology. It's one of the most important chapters in the entirety of the Scriptures because of its themes. But it's also a brutally honest chapter For in it, Paul, who himself suffered repeatedly, tells us why we suffer. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the apostle says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and the children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That all sounds really good. I'm going to one day experience an inheritance with the second person of the Trinity, Great news. Paul doesn't stop there. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. In other words, this path to glory that we are all on, all anticipating, it is chock full of trials and trouble. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this world isn't quite right, is it? It's a groaning world. The entirety of the cosmos groans. And we ourselves groan. We groan because of our own sin and the consequences of it. We groan because of the sins of others and the consequences of their sins upon us. And we groan because we live in a cursed world that is not quite right. But that's why Jesus came. This is what the Apostle John says in the beginning of his Gospel. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we groaning people. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So what is our world like? 
It's a broken place full of disease, shattered relationships, unmet expectations, broken minds, broken bodies. We see it and we feel it and it scares us to death. And we do all we can. We, we do our dead level best to try to keep it at arm's length, but we can't because we're surrounded by it. But that's why Jesus came. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't, he didn't run away from the mess. He, he stepped into it willingly. This was his plan and covenant with the Father to come down into the brokenness and to address it. Not just to speak to it. Not just to give us philosophical discernment about it. But, but to fix it. To, to set it right. Jesus famously gives us insight into this in Mark chapter 4. If you'd like to turn there with me, you are more than welcome to. This is one of my favorite passages in the Gospels. Mark 4 is chock full of all kinds of great teaching and theology, but this is my favorite part of the chapter. Verse 35, John Mark records on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was, another boat with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on his cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? I remember being down on the South Carolina coast in 2011. In 2010, our funding church in Cincinnati more than split. It was a very large church. They had funded our church plant here in Cincinnati, or here in Columbus. And the church went from maybe 900 to 300 in a matter of months. It was a disaster. Uh, Because of that, our funding got cut off. It was a, a really scary time. Some other things were going on in our lives at the same time, which also were tweaking my my fear meters. I remember being down on the South Carolina coast. My wife and children had gone to bed. I went down by the ocean. It wasn't a, it wasn't a clear, starry night. It was a, it was a very overcast night. You couldn't see very well. But I remember walking by the beach, and hearing the waves, and they were scary. But I was in the condo around that time, and I read this passage from Mark chapter four. There's a poignant reminder to me that I'll never forget being out in nature and seeing the scary waves that I had no ability to control whatsoever that could crush me and dash me on the rocks and ruin me and kill me, that my Savior was in control of those. And even in the midst of a, of a time where I felt like my equilibrium was way off and that I wasn't in control of anything, that He was in control of everything. And this is what Psalm 46 is saying to us. Let's, 
Let's explore some of the details for just a moment. In verse 1 of Psalm 46, God's a refuge, like a fortress. We, we run into that fortress whenever we, we know we're in trouble. What if the unthinkable happens, verse 2? What if the earth begins to melt? What if the peerless mountains actually are thrown into the heart of a churning sea, verse 2? A sea where waters roar and foam and the very mountains of grandeur which seem larger and stronger than us disintegrate. What if the unthinkable happens? The psalmist transitions in verse 4 from a scene of cataclysm, from a scene of great trouble to a scene of tranquility and peace. He moves from the metaphor of an ocean to a river. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. When, when the darkest night seems to threaten your very existence and your groaning is the deepest and the most tragic, God shows up in the morning and He will take care of you. Even when the nations rage and everything around you seems threatening, He is still in control and you can trust Him. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 10 through 11 give us a contrast. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And that's what we're calling ourselves to today. But, but notice the contrast in verse 11. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. You know what our, our tendency is in this groaning world? we who are highly educated and well-remunerated, our tendency is to try to take control and figure it out. And do you know what God will do for those of us who continue to try to live that way? He won't let you. If my 40, nearly 43 years of life on this planet are a testimony to anything, it's a testimony to this fact. God will glorify His goodness and power in me whether I want Him to or not. And I am getting to the point, I'm not to the point, but I'm getting to the point that I relent more quickly than I used to. Because I recognize that I'm not in control. And when I try to be in control, I just muck it up. So my friends, my brothers and sisters, I say to you, our God is powerful and our God is good. And even when it seems like upheaval is the norm and everything around you is scary and threatening, He is good and powerful and He will take care of you. Secondly, in verses 8-11, through 11, we see similar themes. We don't need to be afraid of present circumstances or the unknown future. Why? Once again, verse 11, just like verse 7, our unrivaled and steadfastly devoted Lord is with us and for us. The psalmist, as the psalms often do, emphasize things multiple times to make a point, much like we do with our kids. We're not much better. We, we need emphasis and re-emphasis. Uh, 
So he proclaims the unrivaled and steadfastly devoted Lord of verse 7 is with us and we can trust him, but then he has more to say. So he says in verse 8, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Israel had experienced this, right? They had seen strong enemies all around them come to them and, and defeat them at different times. Israel was not great and powerful because they were inherently great and powerful. They were only shown great favor from God and therefore God took care of them and they were protected from their enemies. What nation has there been that all they had to do was march around a city and the walls would fall down? In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells Israel that He will take insects, hornets He calls them, and and go before them into the land of Canaan to drive out the inhabitants to, to give them a place to live. Israel was not the strongest when they had the best trained armies. They were not the strongest when they had the best alliances. That is when they were the weakest. That is when they were the most vulnerable. They were the strongest when they had humble leaders and a humble people who looked to God for all that they needed. And the psalmist recalls various times in Israel's history where they sought to be in control but found out that they weren't and then God showed up and took care of them. And there is coming a day that even though it seems like our world is characterized by such brokenness and trouble, there is coming a day, verse 9, when wars will cease to the end of the earth. There won't even be possibility of brokenness and groaning anymore. For He will break the bow and shatter the spear and burn the chariots with fire. And all the instruments of war will either be obliterated or repurposed. No more bad news. No more mass shootings. No more abortion. No more genocide. No more broken marriages. No more shattered relationships. No more sickness or disease. There is coming a day despite the fact that we are so scared of the unknown future, when this world will be characterized by total peace and it will be shot through with the love of God. How does the psalmist end all of this? Verse 10, be still. That's hard for us as well-trained, well-heeled, well-compensated Westerners, isn't it? To just be quiet. If I was brave enough, I would just sit here and stare at you for five minutes and let you feel that for a minute. (laughs) Somebody will complain, so I won't. To just be still. It's one of the reasons I love to go to the beach. It's one of the reasons I love to go to the mountains. I love to go to places where I have no choice but to just be quiet. I love it when my phone doesn't work. We spent some time on Boreas Pass right above Breckenridge, Colorado this past uh, couple of weeks. You get up to around 12,000 feet by the time you reach the summit of the pass. Um, your phone doesn't work. 
And all you can do is just sit there in the midst of these nearly 14,000 foot mountains and just feel kind of small. On the one hand, that's a bit disconcerting because I don't like to feel small. I like to feel like I'm in control. But I know I'm not. And I know it's really, really good for me to recognize that I'm not. So we sat up on this road and among these huge peaks and we read this psalm together about a week ago. I've also read this psalm in Alaska by myself in the middle of the Teklanika River beneath the summit of Denali, the largest mountain in North America, which is about 20,000 feet and makes you feel like a puny little ant. And I'll never forget standing in the middle of this beautiful braided river in Denali National Park. I have a video of it, which I will not show you today. And just feeling really, really small, but feeling really, really loved. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying to us today. My children, just calm down. Be quiet. And know this fundamental truth. I'm God. And parenthetically, we're not. What will happen? He will exalt himself among the nations. He will exalt himself in the earth. Once again, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, he's with us. And the God of Jacob, this covenant-keeping God who is who is doggedly devoted to us, he's our fortress. There's so much more I'd like to say about the psalm, but we're we're at the end of time. Let me just say this as we close. Often, only those most acquainted with sorrow, those who bear the scars of indelible wounds can really be of any help to other people. So don't despise your groaning. Such people, those who have been wounded with indelible scars of hurt. They don't come armed with cliches and platitudes, but with a settled faith and a deep compassion for fellow pilgrims who are suffering and afraid. And so I say to you, my, my, my dear friends, don't give up. Your pain is not without design or purpose. The Lord Jesus who calms the storms and our good Father who is always with us and full of unrivaled power is giving redemptive shape to your story. You can trust Him for forever. And as you learn to do that, you have something to say. I don't like to see you go through pain. I don't like to go through pain. But there is always design behind it. God is using it for good. He doesn't promise us that He will remove it from us, but He promises us that He will be with us. So I call you to look to the God who has unrivaled power. To trust in the God who is always doggedly, purposefully for you. And may He prove Himself faithful. And may He make us the kind of family that weathers these storms with faith and that has something to say 
to a world that is full of groaning. Our God is powerful, our God is good, and our God is with us. So let us be still now and let us talk to him. God of angel armies, you who have been faithful to your people for countless centuries, we still our hearts before you now. Some of us who are in trouble. And certainly all of us who have tasted trouble and know full well that more trouble, more upheaval is coming. We quiet ourselves before you now. We ask you to confirm in our hearts and in our minds faith. Faith that you, the God of unrivaled power, and you, the God of loving devotion, don't promise us that we won't groan, but that you will be near us while we groan. And so, God of unrivaled power and God of covenant faithfulness, we with still hearts now turn to you in our trouble and commit to you that that the unknown trouble that's coming, that we will lean on you together. So prove yourself faithful. Prove yourself kind. And make us into the kind of people that instinctively trust you that have something to say to others who are groaning around us. May we not forget. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus who calms storms. Amen. Let's stand and sing.